Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 1. You know, we're going to uh, kind of return to this theme of exile. We talked a little bit about exile last week. It's a common theme uh, in the scriptures. And this, the idea of exile is that you're being, the feeling of being ripped from your regular life into something that you did not choose. All right? That's, that's what literal exile is. When someone is exiled or displaced. They are taken away from what is normal and regular to them and put in some sort of situation in which you did not choose. It's a, it's a disorienting experience. And I feel like this year has been uh, a whole year of, of exile. What is going on? This is not what I chose. This is not what I wanted to do with this year. And I got a little bit of a, another taste of it this week. So in my kitchen, uh, my kitchen floor, it was like sinking, like almost touching the ground underneath my house. And so uh, by God's grace, he's provided for us and it's getting fixed this week. But it means we can't be there. Right? I don't want my kids to fall like under my house. And so, um, so we're, we're uh, displaced right now. We're in an Airbnb, and even though it's nice and we have everything that we need, uh, my wife texted me this morning. She's like, how are you doing? I was like, I feel discombobulated. Like, I'm not, I'm not in my, my rhythm. Every, uh, the sleep schedule's off. I just, I just feel a little off. You know, but what, what about bigger, more dangerous interruptions? You know, interruptions that, that just come at you and and we see experiences of this in the world. And, and when there's these huge interruptions to what is regular, it's very uncomfortable and at times even scary. Now, because this feeling is, is a common feeling and unfortunately it's somewhat of a common experience, the question that I want to pro, propose to you today is, what does God say to his people who are in the experience of exile. What, did God, what does God say to his people who are in the throes of, of uncomfortability and, and, and danger and, and it's, what is going on? And from his word, I'm here to tell you that for those who are experiencing exile, God's word to them is comfort. God's word to them is comfort. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 40. Verses 1 through 11, it reads, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The unclean, the uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice was crying saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. 
Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Lord, help me to speak your word. So again, the question is, what does God say to us in despair? We live in a broken world in which our hopes are continually challenged. Now, often when your hopes are challenged, someone might say, well, look on the bright side, and they'll, they'll point some sort of, you know, highlight or some sort of good that you should focus on. Now, two things. One, in the middle of that, sometimes that's not always super comf- uh, comforting, because you're like, well, I, I still don't enjoy what's happening. And two, there are sometimes situations where the, there's really, it's really hard to see a bright side. It's, it's like you're looking for a guide or a path in, in the pitch black dark. So what does God say to us when we're, we're, we're groping for light and somewhere to, to lead us? What does God say to the one who feels exhausted and beat down? Here's the deal. We often imagine that he says, suck it up. We often imagine that he says something like, well, do you not have enough faith? Is that not what you hear from some, some people? You, you feel like your life's hard. Well, if you just trust, grit your teeth. Beloved, this is not what God says. God speaks words of comfort to his people. When he says comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of hard service is over. Her iniquity has been pardoned and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of our sins. Listen, God seeks to comfort us in our despair. See, when we run out of places to get peace, when we have expended our energy trying to find some sort of solace, God is there and he is ready to hold us. Here's the interesting thing. When you have deep grief, when you are in the midst of deep suffering, you need the comfort of presence. Not not simply of words, but, but you need somebody to be there with you. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt like, ah, I feel so horrible. And then you'll have a friend who who comes and they just sit by you. They don't say anything. What what can they say? But they sit by you and their mere presence is comforting to you. There are times when we don't simply need uh, some words, but we need somebody or or someone to, to come and their presence be a strengthening, empathizing force. This idea of, of of a wordless comfort. That when you've reached the end of your rope, that, that what feels like comfort is, is maybe crying into the arms of someone who was there for you. Beloved, this is the comfort that God wants to provide for us. What I love is it doesn't just say that he's willing to comfort, but it says that he tenderly speaks to his people. A lot of times we imagine that God is harsh with us. 
That's kind of sometimes our, our, our gut reaction is if we do something bad or if we feel like, like we're struggling, we just think God is just this, this over-demanding father saying, just get it done. Figure it out. Beloved, that's not how he speaks to us. He speaks to us with gentleness, with, with, with tenderness. He speaks to us as one would speak to calm a sick baby. You know, one of, one of my, my children, when they were young, they had uh, some severe pain and they would cry at all times of the day and night. And I would remember as I would wake up at night and kind of stumble around and I would, I would hear him crying out in pain and I'd see him with his mom holding him, hugging him, speaking kind words to him. Even though she herself was exhausted. God, God does not get exhausted with us. He doesn't go, oh, just get over it. No, he speaks with patience and comfort to us. Not only that, but God disciplines in fairness. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. You look at verse 2, it says, Her time of hard service is over. Her time of hard service is over. So the context that Israel is in exile because of their sins. They're in exile, not, not because they sinned a little bit, but there's a record of, of their grievous sins against God and against the vulnerable and against the weak. But I want you to understand something. God does not take pleasure in discipline, and he does not hand it out in excess. He says, the time's over. When it's done, it's done. God is not sitting, like a lot of times people are like, they look at their life circumstances and they'll ask themselves, is, is God mad at me or is God disciplining me? And, and I, don't, I don't always know. I know he's not angry at you if you're in Christ, but I do understand this, that if you are in the midst of discipline, that when the time is over, when it is done, it's done. He does not rejoice in his discipline. Our God is not vindictive. Our, our life circumstances to him are not arbitrary. But he does everything with purpose. And not only that, God does not allow injustice to go unaddressed. Now here's the deal. The injustice was that of his people oppressing the weak and the vulnerable. But the bright side of justice is that God does not allow victimization to go unaddressed. God judges with equity. This is the God who seeks to bring us comfort. The one who speaks tenderly, who doesn't get overly frustrated with us, that doesn't discipline us in, in a rage, that, that doesn't allow injustices to go unaddressed. This is the God who comes to us in the middle of our pain and says, I'm here. And my presence is here to comfort you. Now, here's the deal. God, God doesn't only tell his people, hey, hey, I'm going to give you words of comfort. He tells them to prepare for his coming. Look at verse 3. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth. The rough places are plain and the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
God tells his people who are in need of comfort that he is on the way. Now, here's the deal. If we think somebody is coming, we prepare for them to come. Yeah. If you know that you have a guest coming to your house, you usually get some room or a bed or a cot or something. You, you prepare it. Yeah, like, and in essence, you have faith that, that they said they're coming, so I believe that they are. So I should, I should prepare as if they are. It's an act of faith. Now, on the flip side, if someone untrustworthy says that they're coming, you're like, well, he probably ain't coming. You've been there. Someone's like, I'm coming. You're like, you, you're in your mind, you're like, you ain't coming, man. But our God is not like that. If he says he's coming, he's coming. And the way that we prepare, how do you prepare? The way that we prepare for God is through this, this idea of repentance. See, God is holy. He's good. And he delights in righteousness. So what, the way to welcome him is to be honest about our sin and to pursue the good that reflects him. That's how you say this. You can't prepare a literal room for him. But that's how you say, I, I, I believe that you're coming to comfort me. I believe that you're coming to deliver me. And because I believe that, I will live a life of repentance because I know that's what you like. Like when your friend comes over and you're like, I cooked your favorite meal because it's what you like. God delights in repentance. And if I expect him to come and to comfort and deliver and to help me, I would say I will live a life of being honest about my sin, confessing it and turning from it. That is how I make room for his coming. Not only that, we, we live with this expectancy that God would reveal his glory. That the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity will see it. God's glory is one of those hard things to define. Like define glory. Uh, but, 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 but to get at it, glory is, is this sense of, of both weightiness and a sense of brightness. There's some sentences that you hear that you're like, that was interesting. There's some things that you hear, you're like, oh, snap. That, that's the difference with the weightiness. There's some things you hear, you're like, that was interesting. There's some things that you hear that give you deep hope. That, that's the glory. That he is going to come and his coming is going to be significant with brightness and glory and weight. And beloved, what is his nature? One to comfort and speak tenderly. We need him to come. He will come with comfort and deliverance. He continues to instruct us. God tells us not to trust in what is fleeting. Look at verse six. A voice was saying, Cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows in them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers. The flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. When we are in the midst of despair and seeking stability, it's like, you're drowning, and when you, when you feel like you're drowning, you just start grabbing. Whatever's close, you just, I'm going to. We start grabbing hold of the people around us, thinking that they will provide the ultimate stability that we, we need, that they will provide the ultimate hope that we need, and we get let down if we put our ultimate trust in people. Here's the deal. Humans, no human, I don't care how good you is, 
No human was created to bear the full weight of our trust. A lot of times when we get to talk about the marriage relationship, even your own spouse is not created to bear the full weight of everything you need. That's why Christ has to be at the center because he can bear the weight of both. We cannot even put our trust in the ideas and and ultimate trust in the institutions that humans create. Because just like humans, they don't last forever either. People are seeking to put the full weight of the trust in something. And God says, don't put it in something that will let you down, but put it in him. See, we can trust in God because his promises and his word stand forever. See, because God is inter- eternal, we can trust what he says. It would be like this. I say, hey, man, in 100 years, I'm going to give you $10. Would you trust? Nah, you probably shouldn't trust that because neither me nor you going to be around. But if someone is around forever and makes a promise to you, they will be around to accomplish the promise. See, we can trust in things that are fleeting or we can trust in the one who stands forever, who will be around to keep his promises. Beloved, that's who can bear the full weight of our hope. And that's the one who says, when I'm coming to comfort, oh, we know, we know that he will come. So instead of, instead of trusting in things that are fleeting, we ought to trust in him. Look at verse 9. Zion, herald of good news, go up on a high mountain. Jerusalem, herald of good news, raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with strength. And his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. He protects his sheep like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Listen, one of the ways that I know about what you trust in is by what you speak about. Yeah? One of the ways I can understand your, your, your deepest hopes is what's, what is in the re- regular vernacular of your conversation. And he's saying God's people, Zion, Jerusalem, God's people, the church, should shout the good news of God's comfort and his coming. Now, it would be very weird if I had to twist your arm to do that. That means you didn't really believe it. If I got to twist your arm to say something, that's not coming deep from within your heart. But if we believe something, we speak it. So if we can trust our eternal good God, that he will bring comfort to those who are in distress, and he will right that which is wrong, why would we not be loud about that? Why would we not proclaim that? If it's what we deeply believe, it will come out. What are, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming God is strong. See, he comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. What we're saying is all those enemies, the, the, the ones that are sowing wickedness, God will defeat that. Everything that raises his hand against God and his standard, God will address that. The other thing that's, that's interesting, it says that, that, that he establishes power. He, his wages are with him and his reward accompanies him. What he's saying is when you win a battle, 
you usually get something. Or not even a battle. If you want a contest, there's a prize or something. God's saying that when I win the battle, when I defeat my enemies, I am going to have a trail of rewards, and I have come to share that with you. That's our good God. That when we see the enemies of sin and death, and we see that Christ conquers them with his resurrection power, he doesn't just hold that power to himself. He shares what he has won with us. It ends with God is kind. He protects us and he leads us gently. Now, here's the thing. When you, were, when you would have been hearing this when it was first spoken, you, there are some things you would not have known. And what you would not have known was about Christ Jesus. See, God did come to comfort his people. And he came in the person of Christ. Look, look when, when, when Jesus was born, it wasn't an average, everyday birth. It was the God of creation seeing his people in pain and saying, I am going to come, presence, I am going to come to them. I am going to be with them. I am going to save them and deliver them. Listen, uh, uh, Matthew 1, 21, it says, it says, she, Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not he might, not he could, but he will. See, the, the, the God of the universe is present in Christ Jesus and he came to save us from our sins. And beloved, he defeated temptation. Remember when he was tempted by Satan and he defeated every one of them. And not only that, he conquered the consequence of our sin, meaning death. The thing that, that feels like there's no coming back from. The ultimate darkness, Christ himself went down into the grave, but he came back. And he brings the rewards of eternal life and forgiveness with him. And remember, he is willing to share. Not only that, it says God came to reveal his glory. The scripture says that all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. I know I say this a lot, but I want to say it again. That one, one day his disciples were coming to him and they said, said, Jesus, if you would just show us the Father, you keep talking about this God, the Father, if you would just show us the Father, that would be enough for us. And Jesus said, don't you understand? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Beloved, do you want to see what God is like? We can look at Jesus of Nazareth. You can open the pages of the scripture and look in the gospels. Is he not gentle? Is he not kind? Is he not powerful? Beloved, that same Jesus is alive today. What's interesting is we think about glory as something awe-inspiring and something showing of, of, of deep power. But John 12, 32 says this, as for me, this is Jesus speaking, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. A little later, he talks about, he's explaining that. He's talking about the crucifixion. The glory of God was shown in the God of creation humbling himself and taking the sins of this world on his shoulder. That's the glory of God. That's his power being shown. 
And here's the craziest thing. He says, I will draw all people to myself. I want you to understand, he, he has, has accomplished this. On every continent, there are people that follow him. Yeah? All over the world, there are people worshiping him. Because he revealed the glory of God, and he saved his people from their sins. And lastly, God comes with strength and kindness. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And a lot of times when we think of somebody powerful, we don't simultaneously think they're gentle. When we think of somebody powerful, we have warped views of what that means, and we think, well, they're probably going to abuse it. They're probably going to be harsh since they can control. But I want you to understand the same one who calmed the winds and the waves told the little children to come to him. The same one who says he's going to judge the living and the dead defends the sinner. Beloved, the one with all power uses his power to protect you and to care for you. So because he has come, and because he continues to bring us comfort by the Spirit, we prepare for his coming every day. Beloved, this is crazy. We, we don't have to wait long for comfort. But the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we can receive that comfort even now. Now, here it is. I, I just want to hone in on this one aspect. Remember how we prepare for his coming? Through repentance? I, I want to I I zero on that for a second. See, the scriptures point to the last prophet before Jesus being John the Baptist. And he came preaching the message of repentance. He's like, yo, Jesus is coming. Get your mind right. Get ready. He told them to repent. Now, here's the deal. We have a tendency to over-spiritualize things. So when we think of repentance, you know, we're thinking like we're in the corner, you know, saying prayers or something, which that's not, that, that's fine. You should do that. But what's interesting is as John the Baptist was preaching and he was telling people to repent, they would ask, well, what do you mean? How do, how do I do that? What, is that? what does that look like? See, to the tax collectors, he said, don't collect any more than you have been authorized. To the soldiers, he said, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. What's, what's interesting about that is the, regu the regularness of what he said. How do I live a life of repentance? Well, look at the responsibilities and the relationships you have. That is the arena of repentance. See, it hits, it hits the ground real quick. So let's, let's make it plain. For those of us who are married, our, our, that, that one of the relationships we have is with our spouse. Well, what are our, do, we have, do we have this responsibility to love and to serve? And like, that isn't up here. <laughs> Right, that, that gets lived out in the everyday. You know, we have various roles and responsibilities in our jobs. Do we respect those that we work with? Do we serve them? Do we backbite? Are we frustrated? Do, do, we, do we show character that isn't Christ-like? We have neighbors around us, those we interact with daily. Do we show them honor and help them when they're in need? Listen, that's the practicalities of repentance. Yeah? It's in the everyday stuff. 
So if we have been comforted by Christ, and if we expect to continue to receive comfort by Christ, then we prepare through everyday repentance. Beloved, that's how we prepare and continue to prepare for his coming. So Christ has come to comfort. Let's receive that comfort. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you have come to comfort us. That, that you lived in this world, that you were present among your people, experiencing the brokenness and the pain that they themselves experienced, yet contributing to none of it. Lord, I thank you that, that you loved us enough to go to the cross. And Lord, that you are powerful enough to defeat death. And you are alive today, ready to bring us comfort. Lord, would our hearts be made ready by the Spirit to live in everyday repentance as we prepare and expect your coming comfort. Now, Lord, as we continue to, to reflect on your gospel, reflect on what you have done, we are, we're going to take communion. And Lord, I pray that by the Spirit, you would continue to meet us there. That you would give us the food that we desperately and truly need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.